0: Starting this fall, we've taken two weeks to highlight hope. And first, you know, last weekend with Chosen, Global Hope. And then today, we're going to highlight personal hope that God brings into our lives. And the two are connected, the personal and the global. Next week, we're going to start a series called Empowered, and we're going to go through the book of 2 Timothy. We love to go through a book, verse by verse. You can read ahead for 2 Timothy. Today, when we think about personal hope, Our team has put something together and a shout out to Joel Miller, to Michelle, to Wayne. It's been weeks of putting this together and it's a landing page, revivinghope.com for for everyone who's here. It's free, there's no charge, but there's content to build up your hope. There's content to cultivate habits. There's videos daily when you sign up that this week are gonna be sent to your email. It's empowering, it's encouraging, and we're gonna walk through it together this week. It's very practical as well, and it comes from Scripture. And so that's what we have set up, chosen, reviving hope, personal hope, global hope. We're starting with two weeks of hope, and then we're gonna enter into that series, Empowered, next weekend, Lord willing, through 2 Timothy. And this is a week of transformation. This is a week of growth together. And it's not just about hearing messages. It's about loving kids in Cambodia. It's about growing in our faith and where we live in our homes. And that's what God's doing as we start the fall. I believe these two weeks set a tone and a trajectory for our lives and for our church as we walk the next few months together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we are together today celebrating your kindness, your grace, your mercy today, your presence Father, I pray for the one who's come in with a heavy heart that you would lift burdens. God, I pray for the one who's come in mourning that you would comfort. I pray for the one who's come in with doubts today that they would taste your goodness. God, I pray for the one who's so hungry for you right now that you would fill them with your presence, your word today. God, I pray that the flame would grow And God, together, we're a diverse group, God. Help us to understand each other, support each other, care for each other, pray for each other, to live in a way, Jesus, that you are seen in our lives. And it's authentic, and it's deep, and we trust you to do this work. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Hope can be described as swimming in a refreshing lake, think like this summer, This is a lake of God's goodness, a lake of God's grace, and a lake of God's promises. The refreshment that comes from God, he wants you to enjoy and be filled with hope. Let's begin with the definition of hope because it's a word we often say, but we might not think about the real meaning. Hope is a confident and joyful trust centered on someone or something. Notice the tone, confident and joyful. At the crux, hope is trust. It's a decision to trust someone or something. You enter today and you have hope and you put your trust in many things. Now, some of those are worthy of some trust. Some of those might be a false source of hope in your life, but I wanna highlight that hope is relational. Ultimately, hope is relational in a relationship with God and your hope is only as strong as the one that you put the trust in. If your hope is in your money, you're going to have a very limited amount of hope in your life. If your hope is in your own self-righteousness, you're going to have a very limited amount of hope in your life. If your hope is in another person, that can be good to some degree, but there's a real ceiling there. The God of all hope, when you put your trust in him, he brings you joy and peace because he is the ultimate source of hope and he's the place that all of us are designed to go to for hope. And with hope, we need clarity. We're living in a time where there's great need for hope. Think about these statistics. Half of America has said that they're hopeless, according to the Census Bureau. Half America feeling hopeless. The American Psychological Association says that America has never been this stressed before. And Center of Disease Control states that, in fact, there's never been more death by drug overdose than there is right now in our country. And Barna reports that 42% of pastors are saying that they're ready to step out of ministry and find a different vocation. I want to highlight that 42% of pastors saying, I'm ready because it feels too difficult, too discouraging. I feel too defeated, and I just want to step out of ministry. I share those statistics together because it's not just one small group of people or one profession or one level of income, but in fact, together, we are walking through a time where we are starving and searching for hope. And we know and have a sense that there's more, there's a better way, things aren't exactly how they should be right now, and we're wondering, what are my options? Where do I turn? What does that look like? And the good news today is that hope is available. To every single person here, hope is available, and it's available in abundance in Jesus. It's available for everyone in abundance all the time because of Jesus and in Jesus and in this relationship. When you look at the Bible, hope is a yes, not a maybe. Our blessed hope, the returning of Jesus. That's not a maybe, like, I hope he comes, not sure if he will return. No, in the Bible, that hope is a yes, a guarantee, a promise. Hope is solid. Hope is not a feeling in the Bible that just comes and goes, and it's random, and you don't know if you're going to ever feel it again. No, hope is a foundation that God lays for us. And the hope in the Bible is greater than our challenges. You might walk in today with a mountain of challenge in your life. You might walk in with 20 challenges. You might walk in with three that are daunting and feeling very overwhelming today. But I want to declare to you that the hope of Jesus is greater than the challenge that you've been thinking about and trying to solve and fixated on. The hope of Jesus is greater than that. And the promise of Jesus is if you abide with him, your house will be like a house on the rock and not the sand. Not the sand, but the rock. Jesus is the rock and that foundation of hope is what he brings into our lives. If you ask people today, do you want more hope? I think most of us would say yes. That's kind of an easy question. I'd definitely take more hope. We know hope's important. We know hope energizes us. We know hope's needed in our relationships, how we respond to people, blessing the nations. We know that we need hope. The question is, how do you access and acquire more hope? Well, we're going to look today at three levels, and I think the sequence is important. We're going to start at the starting point with the most important of the three. Here it is. Behold the God of hope. Behold the God of hope. Romans 15, 13 is a central verse today. I encourage you to think about it, meditate on this verse this week, memorize it if you want. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Again, hope is relational, trust is key. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not gonna overflow with hope just with principles and effort. You're gonna overflow with hope through God's presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is God? He's the God of hope. If someone asks you, who's your God? Who do you worship? I worship the God of hope. That's my God. And he will fill you with his hope if you turn to him and trust in him. And we're so glad that we worship not a doom and gloom God, but a God who's filled with hope. I wanna declare this clearly. There's nothing in life that will bring you more hope than the presence of God. There is nothing, you can search all creation and chase after every pleasure. Nothing will bring you more hope than the presence of God. This hope God brings is a healthy inner life. You can fake people on the outside, but I'm talking about shalom on the inside. This hope that God brings, it'll bring peace in your home. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when everyone in the home says yes to Jesus, the Prince of Peace brings the peace that transcends all understanding and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The hope of Jesus is what makes churches vibrant. Without the presence of God, churches are just an outer cell in a facade. But with the presence of God and the hope of God, a church becomes vibrant. The presence is, means everything. If all we do is gather and sing a few songs and show up in a building and have some Bibles, but it, we're not seeking God in his presence, we're just playing religious games and none of us want that. We have way too much going on in our life to just show up for some religious games. The presence of God is the most important aspect of Grace Community Church. And, and some people will say, oh, Grace Community Church, and they might think, oh, that's right. We've been together for 70 years. Or they might think, oh, I think that's a big building with three crosses. That, that's not the most important stuff about Grace Community Church. Oh, there's a big building there, and, and by God's grace, the debt was paid. We celebrate these things. We thank God, but that's not it. They might think life groups. That's right. That's the church where they form community in these life groups and life groups. Life groups are not the main thing here. They might name some different staff members and different people on the team. That's not the main thing. We thank God for all those things. But let me make it so clear that what makes this church is Jesus. And it's his presence. And our prayer is that anyone who comes into this space, it's just a space, would encounter Jesus because nothing is going to fill your soul like an encounter with the living God, Jesus, the Messiah. And when you experience Jesus, you'll never be the same. And that's where the hope comes, and that's what we're all about. Now, you say, um, okay, God's presence in the Bible, that's the main thing. And the Bible is very clear, and there's a contrast. And there's many stories about God's presence not being there. And I want to point out, theologically, I know God is omnipresent. There's no heresy here. God is everywhere. And there's also the God who is everywhere is also somewhere. And the God who is everywhere, well, some people are going to be filled with God's presence, some aren't. And rebellion and sin pushes God away. We can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit in our lives and not be filled with his presence. As you go through the Bible, what you see is that sin is real. That's rebellion against God. It's deceptive. It's full of lies. And it wants to steal, kill, and destroy the joy and peace in your life. Sin wants to master you. And the more you let sin in, sin will get a foothold and sin will get a stronghold in your life. And you can't say yes to the Holy Spirit and sin at the same time. So something's gonna move and you're gonna say yes to sin or yes to the Holy Spirit. And those are the daily choices that we make. In the Bible, there's Jonah, And the potential Jonah had is that God is leading him to Nineveh and God's going to bring revival and Jonah, get in Nineveh because God's going to save 120,000 people. But instead, Jonah's drowning, drowning, and he's pushing God away and drowning when he could be in Nineveh in revival. When you think of Samson in the Bible, God gave him so much strength and leadership, and it was to be a deliverer, but he got focused on women and chased this one and that one, and pretty soon you see in his life, the Bible says, God's presence left Samuel, left Samson, and he didn't even realize it. Samson was so full of his own strength and effort and humanism, and, all this, and he didn't even realize God wasn't with him. There are religious people, and they're religious, and they have positions, and they preach, and they they don't even realize God is not with them. Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? They love rebellion and sin more than God, and when a city does that, it just leads to destruction on any level, any city, any nation. You know, for the nation... The Israelites. There were times where God's presence abounding and they were trusting God and there was celebration and joy and love. They were looking out for people. They were caring for each other's needs. There was unity. And what happened? They got complacent. They thought, well, if we just have the ark, you know, if we just have a little religion, we don't actually need God. They lost sight of God. They were still religious. And the name Ichabod arose. Ichabod means the glory has departed. And my prayer. Watching what's happening in America and the drifting and the wandering spiritually is that the name Ichabod would not land on our nation, that the glory would not depart. But what does God say? That if we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways and repent and seek his face, he will come and he will heal our land. There's always the invitation for his presence and his hope, and anyone at any time can turn to him and say yes, and receive his grace and mercy, and God heals lands. God, in three verses, tells the story of the Israelites, and I think this is important for us to take note. In verse four, it was Egypt, and they were in slavery, and he says in Hosea 13, verse four, "'I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt.'" You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. It was God who delivered them. Ultimately, not Moses, it was God. And they celebrated the deliverance. And then verse 5, the next stage was the wilderness. And he says, I cared for you in the desert, in the land of the burning heat. Even though they were complaining all the time and they had a lack of faith, God still brought manna and there was a fire and a cloud to guide them. He still cared for his people in the wilderness, even in their rebellion. But then what happened in verse six, they went into the promised land and there was an abundance of blessings. And God says, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then because they were proud, they forgot. God showered blessings on the land. He provided for his people. They had houses, they had cars, they had grocery stores that were full, they had Costco with everything they wanted, they had Amazon, they had all, they, wow, look at everything we've got here, education and resources. And they became proud and they trusted their money and their effort and they took God for granted. And in their pride, they forgot God. May it not be so. Well, what's the contrast? God's presence makes all the difference. Joseph was mistreated by his family. Maybe you have some deep wounds from your family, what they've said and done and abuse, but God was still with Joseph. He was thrown into prison. There was injustice. Maybe you've experienced injustice, and God was still with Joseph. Jesus is our good shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. You are still with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. God's presence makes all the difference. There was a woman who was married many times Just kept thinking, this man's gonna make me happy, this man will make me happy, this man will make me happy. And the truth is, every relationship kept ending in divorce. And this woman was broken, and she was just grasping for religion. And Jesus said, No, you don't need religion, you need living water. And I have living water that's gonna satisfy your soul like no man can. And and she started to realize this is about the presence of the Messiah. And she got so filled that she started to tell her community, And, and when you look through. Uh, abide with Jesus, you will bear much fruit. His presence in your life, you will bear much fruit. You drift from Jesus, it's not going to be the same fruit. It's not going to be the same fruit. The fruit is linked to the abiding. And the church in the book of Acts was feeling defeated and discouraged. And they were filled with fear and they were isolated and retreating, a little like what we've seen the last two years through the pandemic. They were in that mode until what happened? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out. And you know what happens when they get filled with God's presence? Now they've got love, they've got courage. They don't have a spirit of timidity, but now they're ready to change the world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, God's presence is in them. God's presence makes all the difference. And every Bible story is ultimately about God's presence. There's nothing more important in our lives than the presence of God. You've got 99 places you can run, but the one place to go is God's presence. And there's no substitute. You can't fake it. No amount of religion on the outside is going to take that place of you and God and the closeness and the nearness. Here's the good news. God wants to be with you. I'm not talking to this section or this section or this (laughs) section or this section. Like, God wants to be with you. Close. Say, how do you know that? Well, the cross. Go to the cross. I mean, it's true throughout history in the Bible, but go to the cross. Jesus left heaven because he wants to be with you. He was bringing glory to the Father, always glorifying the Father, and also pursuing you. He knows you, loves you, pursues you. There's a cost to this relationship, and Jesus paid the full cost. There's a sacrifice, there's a pursuit, there's a love, and you can try to resist it in your heart, but there comes a time when you say, I'm ready to receive his love and the presence of God, and there's nothing greater, there's not a greater day than when you come to know Jesus, and I'll tell you it's an eternal relationship. You know what heaven's all about? It's about the nearness of you and God. And it's about the fullness of God's presence. Some people get excited by heaven and say, oh, I can't wait for the food. I mean, I've been on a cruise and that's good, but I can't wait for the food in heaven. Some people say, I can't wait for my resurrected body because I'm so tired of sickness and illness and I just want that resurrected body. You know, some people say, I, wanna, I know this person I love is in heaven, I just wanna see them again. And those are all good things. But I'll tell you what the best thing in heaven is, the nearness and the fullness of the presence of God for eternity, and you look in Jesus in the eyes and giving him praise. That's that right there. There's no greater reward. There's no greater day, and it'll never end. There's no more hope in this world than in the presence of God. And where you need to go today is into God's presence. That's why we gather. That's why we gather. And it leads to the second, and these are in order, is to believe what God says. In Romans chapter 12, in his word, God says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If someone asks you what's worship, you might start thinking, oh, it's the church building, it's the music, it's the instruments, it's me singing. And I would say all of that, is very, very secondary, very secondary. In fact, you can have all that and have zero worship. You can have all that and have zero worship. Well, then what's worship? What's worship? Worship is when I say, here am I, God, and I give him praise, and I say, God, lead me, and I surrender to Jesus now we've got some worship. And it really doesn't matter what song is playing. It really doesn't matter how comfortable the seats are. It doesn't matter which lights are on and off. Worship is when you get with Jesus and you say, here I am. I trust you. I trust your word. Jesus, I'm following you. That's worship. And what else does this say in verse two? It says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world. There's all kinds of patterns in this world and systems and values and priorities that just don't match God and his word. So don't conform to those, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When your mind is renewed, your hope is renewed. Renew your mind, renew your hope. The hope is gonna be happening right between the ears. And what does God's word do? God's word brings affirmation. Affirmation can happen on three levels. You can have self-affirmation. That's good. That's good. Be kind to yourself, please. Uh, you can have affirmation from other people, and that also builds you up. It's important we do that with one another. But the deepest affirmation is the affirmation from God, and in His Word, this book is full of affirmation for you. And so, receive that affirmation and be secure. Nothing will give you security. Kids in this world are grasping for security. What's my identity? Where's my security? What's what's everyone else doing? And I'll tell you, there's no deeper security than in God's presence. What he says about you, receive his affirmation. You're made in God's image. You're wonderfully made. You're a masterpiece. You're not here by accident. You are loved. You have a maker. And God is going to lead you and guide you. And when you have security in that affirmation, life's different. So, affirmation, what else do you get? You get direction from this word. You get it in three categories you get knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. In a world that's confused, you get knowledge, which is information about God. Information's important. Love God with all your mind. And you also get wisdom, which is even more important than knowledge, because some people have knowledge, and they've been to school and have great degrees, but they don't have wisdom. And wisdom is the daily decisions. Wisdom is those life decisions, tonight, tomorrow morning, Friday night. Those decisions, they go beyond knowledge. Now we're talking wisdom. And then the last one is discernment. Discernment Is what you need right now because there's so much false teaching. There's so many fronts. Everyone's got an image. You need discernment to know what's right and wrong, what's truth and a lie. I need to discern between light and darkness and God will give you that. He'll give you all three in a world that's confused and he'll also give you truth. In a cunning world where there's half truths, where there's lies, deceptions, manipulations, people spin things, God will give you truth. Look at this verse and it's Philippians chapter 4, verse eight. Paul is writing out of love to a church and receive this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Psychologists say we have about 6,000 thoughts a day. Think of all the thoughts that run through your mind in a day. I know for me, that there are thoughts that are selfish, there are thoughts that are harsh, there are thoughts that are wrong, there are thoughts that don't line with the Bible, there are thoughts that are impure, there are thoughts that are greedy. I mean, that's just me. I know for most of you, the 6,000 are pure, the 6,000 <laughs> thoughts are pure, but I'm just confessing, for me, it's a battle every single Day. It's a battle. So, what Paul is saying, recognizing that God wants to renew our mind, is that this is what you need to do intentional with your thoughts. You need to reject and replace, reject and replace, because there might be a couple thousand that aren't coming from God, and you recognize those, reject them. You don't have to believe and harbor and entertain every first thought that comes in your mind, but you replace it with the Word of God. Replace it, win the battle in the mind. I like to say that verse out loud. I'll say whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. When I get flooded with thoughts of despair and discouragement, I'll just replace it, reject it, replace it, and do that all day long. That's what it looks like all day long because I don't want my mind in a ditch. I don't want a hopeless thinking. I don't want thinking that doesn't align with God's word. And I'll tell you what's being promoted in America is just say you love God and you don't have to line up with his word. You can, have, you can just do that. Love God and not line up with his word. And I'm telling you, that's a false teaching that is tripping so many people up these days. You love God, you love his word. You trust his word and he renews your mind. He raises you to levels that you didn't even know could happen in your mind. And how does he do that? We have a role to reject and replace. And you say, wow, that sounds like a lot. You're doing that during the day? Yeah. And I'm learning all the time. And some days I'm a little better than others. Here's an encouragement in this journey there's four stages with growth, with development. And these four stages, the first one is unconscious incompetence. That means you don't even know what you don't know. I didn't even realize I got 6,000 thoughts. I didn't realize a bunch of those are junk. I didn't realize a bunch of those aren't from God. I didn't even know you could do something about that. Okay, you just don't know what you don't know. Well, the second one, It's going to be conscious incompetence, where you start to realize, you you know, I think some of my thoughts, they take me into cycles, and they just lead me to places that are destructive. And so, you know what? I think I need to start rejecting some of those patterns and thoughts and replacing them. And you think, like, I'm going to start doing that, and you might need a counselor. That's wonderful. There's no shame in getting counselor. Like, there's many resources. In addition to the resources, we have a role, and part of that you might feel like, oh, I know I shouldn't think this, but I just keep thinking it thinking it and dwelling it and thinking it. I just spent two hours. I've been, my day has been consumed thinking about this and I know I shouldn't even giving it too much power or wasted 10 minutes on it. And that's conscious incompetence. You're just giving these things too much power and you know there's a better way. So where do you go next? This is conscious competence. Now at first it's gonna seem a little intentional and it's like, okay, wait, I recognize that thought. I have that one a lot. It says I'm a failure. There's no hope for me. And it says that there's no future for my life. And and so I'm just gonna run to the bottle. I know that thought, I know that thought, so I know what to do. I've got whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. And you start to say that out, and it's very intentional, and you're kind of hold on everything, I gotta replace this. And then you know what happens over time? Pretty soon that thought comes. And you're not even stopping to think that verse. You're so whenever true, noble, right? Pure, I, purity in the name of Jesus right now, purity. And you say that out loud. And what you're doing is it starts to just get in the flow. And just like you tie your shoe now without thinking about it, just like I shoot a basketball shot without thinking about it, over time when you cultivate habits, pretty soon God just brings it into the flow. And you're quoting scripture like, Jesus, your mind is renewed. And all of a sudden the people are looking around you're like, what's going on? You don't react to stuff the same way. You're not so stressed out. You've got this peace like, How are you doing that? Because the rest of us are freaking out. And you say, oh, I'm just trusting God's word. I'm rejecting and replacing, and I'm lining up with scripture. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. trying to get practical today. And when you believe God's word, you're going to bless other people. How do you know you're believing God's word? You're going to be blessing other people. If you're not blessing people wildly during the day, you might not be walking close with Jesus. You might not be trusting his word. Your mind might need to be renewed because the fruit of a renewed mind is you're just going to start blessing other people around. And no one can stop you. No one can turn it off. The blessings are just going to flow. That leads to the third one. Be intentional with habits that cultivate hope. Look at Jesus in the morning, Mark chapter 1, and this is his pattern. It says, this is what he did over and over again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus started the morning. He won the morning. The priority is listening, and he's going to get with the Father. He's going to pray. He's going to listen, and that's where he starts. Now, what comes next? And this is where we can relate. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Do you feel this during the day? You wake up, you pick up your phone, you're like, all these texts, all these requests, all these emails, you pull out your daily schedule, you're like, all these meetings, all these things I've got to handle, you pull out your personal finances, all of this, and then the kids are saying, and, and this, 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 and you're like, this, 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 and... Jesus, before he entered into this, 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 he got alone with the Father, and he listened, and he cultivated that habit. So he was ready when everything else came. And what did he do? He, because he was listening, he said, let's go somewhere else. Notice he doesn't run around and trying to meet every need. Well, who, what are the names? I got to do everything. I got to make everyone happy. No, he's been listening. He says, we're going to go somewhere else. Today, we're going to the nearby villages. I'm going to preach there also. That's why I came. I know the Father is leading me in this way. Listening leads to blessing. Listening is the priority. Cultivate the habits that nourish your soul, get you ready for the day, and cultivate the things that are gonna also impact the people around you in a positive way. Daniel, in Daniel chapter six, verse 10, we read, now when Daniel learned the decree had been published, and this is by the ruler of the land, if people you know, are praying and some other God, not worshiping the leader, lot of egos back then amongst the leaders and the rulers, um, then, you know, you could be killed, you could be punished. Well, Daniel went in to his home, to the upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. So if you think America's a tough place to be a Christian, Daniel was in Babylon, and it was at least 100 times more different. In terms of people getting killed, trying to take away Daniel's identity, uh, trying to attack him, persecute him, it was so hostile. And what did Daniel learn before he went to Babylon? He cultivated this life of prayer. Prayer, fasting, worship. You need to cultivate habits before Babylon comes. Once Babylon's coming, it's like if you're not cultivating the habits... You're just gonna be blown and tossed around every kind of wind and rumor and gossip. And this person says this, feels this. Well, there you go on that one. There you go on that one. Because you're not cultivating the habits that are gonna prepare you with depth to face what God's gonna lead you through if you're trusting him. And he's gonna bring a fire in you greater than the challenges and you're gonna walk through it. Well, the history of the church is filled with cultivating this. In Acts chapter 12, verse five, there's already Christians killed Now, Peter, it looks like, is about to be killed, but in verse 5, it says, the church gathered together, they cultivated that habit, earnestly praying to God together. And God brought a rescue. God brought um, many people's lives were changed. He first rescued Peter, and then he rescued thousands. It was a church. We don't get the glory. When we pray, it's not because we pray great. None of us, we're all growing in prayer, right? It's not like we've got this group over here that's so polished in prayer. Our perfect prayers are all over here. Everybody just listen to them. No, we're we're worshiping God in spirit and truth. We're pouring out our heart to God, and God takes imperfect prayers, and the Holy Spirit helps, and God intercedes. Listen, I was looking at church history, and this week, in the 17th century, the Moravians cried out and poured out to God. There was continuous prayer 24-7. God did such a movement there. It led to the Wesleyan Revival. When you think about the Protestant movement of missions and the way the nations have been blessed over the last hundred years, including in our country, we send out more missionaries and bless other nations than any other nation. Why? It was bathed in prayer. It was bathed in prayer. When you think about the Berlin Wall going down and the Iron Curtain and what opened up in Eastern Europe, there were seven years of intensive prayer. I was reading this in Operation World. When, when you think about 911 and the tragedy that happened in New York, You know, it also, because God's so good, he'll bring out good things out of the tragedies in our life. It's his grace. And out of that tragedy in 9-11, prayers for the world that grows up in a Muslim tradition. There's never been, since 9-11, so many Muslims experiencing Jesus, encountering Jesus, turning to Jesus. God is working in powerful ways. Uh, Just because you see a headline that's terrible, it doesn't mean that God isn't still going to move But God is looking for his people who's cultivating a lifestyle of worship and prayer and fasting to gather together, and he'll move. He'll move through those prayers. I'm trying to highlight the importance of what happens in terms of cultivating habits. You know, soccer was a big part of my life, but professional soccer just didn't land there. That was years of cultivating habits. Weekend games, those are fun. But what no one sees during the week is those habits that you cultivate. And it's true for an athlete. It's true in many of your professions. And that's why, um, you know, in terms of the team putting together RevivingHope.com, it really is a chance to cultivate together some habits that will set the tone. It's not an infomercial. There's no cost. There's nothing corny here, nothing tricky. It's just the easiest way, a landing page, to let's do this together and start to cultivate these habits from God's word. And I wanna say this to encourage you because sometimes when you're cultivating new habits and some of you are gonna cultivate some spiritual habits that have gotten rusty or just on the back burner in the next three months, things are gonna to start to happen. And I wanna encourage you because if you're thinking, well, I'm gonna cultivate the habit this week and then you know, all of heaven's gonna break open and the floodgates are gonna be," open. They might, God does that. But in terms of cultivating habits, I had an injury, this is the start of my eighth month and I fully ruptured my Achilles tendon. And my physical therapist said something to me that was so important. He said, I just need you to trust me, okay, and just do what I'm telling you to do. Because in the months ahead, you're going to have many months where you're cultivating, you're doing what I'm telling you to do, and you're not going to see any results. You're going to have many months where it doesn't look like there's any progress. And then he said, you're going to love it when you go through the seventh because the seventh month, you're going to see amazing breakthroughs. And I got to tell you, it's been a tough road. And there were many, many moments in the first six months where I just thought, is this getting any better? No doctor can guarantee it's going to be better. You know, I'm praying, asking for healing, and I'm doing the physical therapy exercises, and it just doesn't seem to make that big of a difference. But you know what's happened this last month? A month ago, I couldn't run. And now, just like he said, at the end of the seventh month, I just went for a run of 30 minutes, 30 minutes. And all that happened this month. And so trust God with the results. Be faithful. Take that step of faith. Hope is where we're starting this fall. Global hope. We are celebrating today over 200 children in Cambodia. The connection, the relationships, the generosity. It's beautiful what God's doing personal hope in your heart, in your home, in our church together. And uh, this is something we want to participate. We don't just want to study hope. We want to um, build relationships with another nation. We just want to study hope. We want to start to live it out and cultivate some of these habits together as we start the fall. So that's how we're starting. And at this moment, you know, a lot of times at the end of a service, there's one thing, but in praying about it, it just couldn't be one thing. One thing for all of us, go to revivinghope.com, just sign up and let's grow this week. Let's do this together this week. Now, I wanna give an invitation because we're seeing a lot of people coming to Jesus for the first time. And I gave the invitation last service and people raised their hand. Now, you don't have to get up and say anything. You don't have to do anything. But I wanna give an invitation right now. If you haven't before decided to follow Jesus, if you don't know your sins are forgiven, if you don't know you're going to heaven, You've never made a decision before to follow Jesus. This is not religion. You don't earn it. This isn't about keeping enough rituals or laws. That's impossible. The Bible says it's not by works. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's your decision. There's no pressure here. It's your decision. It's you and Jesus. You might know some people who follow Jesus, but you know today's your day. This day has your name on it. You don't want to harden your heart. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to Father except through Jesus. And Jesus already loves you. He's always loved you. I didn't grow up in a tradition with Jesus. I didn't know about Jesus. Didn't discover Jesus until college. There's nothing greater you will ever discover in this relationship with Jesus. I want to to pray for anyone who's ready to make that decision. You know, it's kind of like marriage. You think about getting married. You kind of like to get married. But there comes a day where you say, I do. And, and a covenant relationship happens. It's glorious. Well, similarly with God, there's a starting point, And it's by faith in Jesus. And I'm going to ask you again, you don't have to say or do anything. But if you're ready today to start that relationship, I'm simply going to ask you to lift up your arm and hold it up. And at home as well or online, you just lift up your hand. There's no shame in following the Lord. And uh, if you're ready today, you know today's the day, today's the time. Just lift up your hand where you are. Just lift up your hand and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Today's my day. That's right. We see hands. Anybody else just ready? I see a hand right there. You know you're ready. You know you're ready. Uh, Anybody else? I see another hand right there. You know you're ready. You know you're ready to follow Jesus. This is your day. I see another hand right there. You know it. You know it. What happens when you put your trust in Jesus? You're in God's family forever. You know you're going to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. You have the peace of God, and you're secure. No one can snatch you away from God's love ever. There's no greater love or security for your soul. And I see these hands. God sees the hands. He knows the heart. And I want to pray for you, and at home as well, raising your hand. I want to pray for you, and uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person that had the courage to say yes to you today, to follow you for the first time. God, I thank you for these decisions We've all sinned. We all fall short of your glory. We know the wages of sin is death and separation from you. But Jesus, you paid the full price. You're our Messiah, our Savior. And today, the decision in this room is to follow you. Thank you, God, that salvation is real. Heaven's real. Thank you that your promises are all kept and guaranteed. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.